Diabetes can be very confusing. It can be extremely confusing. But it doesn't have to be because it's only as confusing as the internet makes it out to be. It's actually a pretty straightforward condition once you understand the true molecular biology. Welcome to Exploring Mind and Body with Drew Tadia. Drew is an expert in nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. And he wants to help you live a healthier, longer, and more active life. Now here's your host, Drew Tadia. Welcome to another edition of Nationally Syndicated Exploring Mind and Body. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our True Form Life community. We're coming at you with a brand new show. We appreciate whether you're listening on terrestrial radio across the country or as a podcast around the world. We certainly wouldn't be here without you. So stick around. We got all that coming up. This is Exploring Mind and Body. Naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host, Drew Tadia. All right, welcome to another edition of Nationally Syndicated, Exploring Mind and Body. Welcome to the show. Thanks a ton, Drew. It's uh, super cool to be here today. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. I'm very interested in this subject. Cyrus, tell us about yourself and how you got into this. Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. Uh, so I was uh, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was uh, 22. So this is the year 2002. And uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm a senior in college going to Stanford University, just trying to graduate and move on with my life. And uh, I actually got diagnosed with three autoimmune conditions in this in, the, in a six-month period. The first one was Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. The second one was alopecia universalis, which basically just means you lose your hair. So as you can see, I have no no hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes, literally nothing on my body. And then the third one was type 1 diabetes. And all three of them set in within a six-month period. So I went from being a happy-go-lucky kid to a chronic disease patient very quickly. And so um, the doctors at the time told me to eat a low-carbohydrate diet with meat, cheese, chicken, fish, uh, olive oil, turkey burgers, peanut butter, you name it. And that's what I did because you know, in the, in the world of diabetes, that's what you do in order to keep your blood glucose controlled well is you, you play the carbohydrate avoidance game. So I did that for a year, and it was supposed to make my blood glucose real controllable, but it, it didn't. My blood glucose was a disaster. It was all over the place. But in addition to that, my insulin use was climbing from 25 units a day to 30 to 32 to 36 to 39, 45. Some days I would inject 55 units of insulin. And it didn't make any sense to me because what I'd been told over and over was, hey, as long as you keep your carbohydrate intake low, then your insulin use will also be low. So I said, okay, fine, that makes sense. But it, it, I was keeping my carbohydrate intake low and I was exercising the way I was told, but you know, my insulin use was going up. So something about this equation didn't make sense. Long story short, I switched over to a plant-based diet, not because I was looking for it, but just because I, I ended up talking to people who pushed me in the direction of exploring a plant-based diet, so I did. And under the guidance of a, uh, a nutrition professional named Dr. Doug Graham, he taught me how to transition to a plant-based diet so under his guidance, I basically you know, went cold turkey overnight and I gave up all animal products and I started eating a whole bunch of fruits and a whole bunch of vegetables. And within one week, Drew, my insulin use fell by 40% in one week, <laughs> which is a big deal in the world of type 1 diabetes. And my blood glucose was, was just, it just fell like a rock. So like I was eating a ton of carbohydrate energy. I was doing the exact opposite of what the traditional medical model told me to do. And yet my glucose was lower and my insulin use was lower. I was fascinated. I went back to school. I got a PhD in nutritional biochemistry at UC Berkeley. While I was there, I studied what the heck was happening in me. I was like, am I a freak of nature? Or is this, is this is what's happening in me also applicable to other people living with diabetes? And while I was there, I found out that 
that I'm everything that I was experiencing uh, had already been described in the scientific literature and that I was not special by any stretch of the imagination, but that there was legitimate scientific biology underlying everything that was happening inside of me. So long story short, I ended up developing a program called Mastering Diabetes with Robbie Barbero, who is a type one diabetic as well. He had a similar story. And the two of us basically have created a program that teaches people living with all forms of diabetes how to transition to a plant-based diet so they can drastically improve their health and eliminate, aka reverse prediabetes and type 2 diabetes and gestational diabetes and really manage type 1 and type 1.5 diabetes extremely well. You know what's shocking to me is like this plant-based research, it's been around for a while, but it's crazy to me that people are still like, you eat plants? <laughs> what does that I know, mean? I know. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of pseudoscience. There's a whole bunch of pseudoscience that looks like real science. There's a whole bunch of pseudoscience that gets passed with good intentions. People have very good intentions. They don't recognize that what they're reading does not have a solid biological foundation. It looks like it does, and they, they accept it, and they implement it, and then they pass the information on to someone else, and it kind of spreads through society that way. As well, a lot of the things you tried were actually not grounded in real science. That's the problem. Yeah, I hear that all the time, too. I've tried everything. What do I do? I know. T tell me more about yourself. So it's it'd be interesting to know for me, like the back end. What, what was it like when you lost all your hair, for example? Or, or tell us about some of the struggles that you dealt with when you were first diagnosed with some of your autoimmune diseases. Yeah, for sure. So imagine, imagine if you went to the hospital today. So imagine you're sitting there, you're drinking water, and you're like, huh, I'm getting kind of thirsty. And you drink some more water. And then you'd be like, huh, I'm getting kind of thirsty. And then you drink some more water. And this happens over and over and over again for like a 24-hour period, right? I was getting to the point where I was drinking a gallon and a half of water a day. And I was getting thirstier and thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. And I was like, something is fundamentally wrong with me. Because I was taking on so much fluid, I had to go pee 17, 18, 20 times a day. And then because I was peeing so often, uh, I was electrolyte depleted, which means that when I went to sleep, I would cramp up and I get a hamstring cramp and an ab cramp and an opposite hamstring cramp and a bicep cramp and a chest cramp. And it was just, it was a nightmare. So I show up at the hospital and they diagnosed me with three autoimmune conditions, right? I was literally expecting them to be like, hey, you're dehydrated or something to that effect, right? Here, take these electrolytes, you'll be fine. But instead they're like, hey, you have Hashimoto's, you have alopecia and you have type one diabetes. Here is a prescription for two types of insulin. Here's some syringes. Here's a blood glucose meter. Here's a carbohydrate counting guide. Here's a life alert bracelet. And, uh, you know, here's a bunch of test strips. Good luck. And I was like, oh, shoots, what just happened to me? So emotionally, it was not a good time. I was, I was, I was terrified. I was really terrified that if I didn't take this seriously, that something drastic could happen to me. Um, and it took me the better part of a year to make the decision, the conscious decision, that I was going to try hard. Because for the first year of living with all three of these conditions, I thought to myself, maybe if I just kind of ignore it or like kind of pay attention, but not really, that it'll go away. So I was like eating. And then somewhere around the year marker when not only was my insulin use going up and my blood glucose all over the place, but I lost a ton of energy and I started to develop anxiety and depression and my joints hurt and my muscles hurt. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm living in the body of an 80-year-old man right now and I'm 23. This is not going to work. For me, there was a breaking point. Uh, the breaking point was that I would go and I would play a game of soccer. Like I grew up as a soccer player. I absolutely love the game. So I'd go out and I'd play a game and I'd come home and it would take me not one, not two, 
but three or four days to recover from one 60 minute session. And that's never happened to me in the, in the history of my life. So I decided at that point, I was like, you know what, if you, if you take away my mobility, we have some problems. You cannot take away my mobility. So diabetes, I'm on a mission. I'm going to try and find a solution. Game on. Let's do this. So what was that? What did they say any reason in particular that these came up? Like, is there something that you were doing that you shouldn't have been doing? Genetics, DNA, lifestyle? What was it? Or do you know? Yeah, nobody has nobody has an explanation. Zero people have an explanation. Since that time, there's been a lot more research about, you know, what causes autoimmunity. And researchers have gone and dug deep to try and find out what causes type 1, what causes Hashimoto's, what causes alopecia. And there's a number of environmental toxins that have come to the surface. In the case of type 1 diabetes in particular, there's this fascinating research that shows that uh, children who transition from... So sometimes children cannot be breastfed from their mothers because their mothers have a difficult time producing milk or it's hard to do so. So... A lot of mothers with the, with the, do it with the right intent and they say, okay, you can't get milk from me. Let's switch you to formula. What's supposed to happen is that an infant is supposed to get breastfed for a minimum of one year. And that's an opportunity for the mom to basically you know, feed the baby with um, high quality nutrient dense uh, breast milk, but then also pass a good portion of her immune system to the child. The problem is that if a child gets switched from um, you know, breast milk to cow's milk at a very young age, before one year, the chances of developing type 1 diabetes goes through the roof. It, it goes up dramatically. And so there's actually some research that shows that if you take twins and you feed one of them, breast, or you, you breastfeed one of them for at least a year, and then you take the other one and you don't breastfeed them, that the one that's not breastfed actually can develop type 1 diabetes at a higher rate. Wow. So that's one thing. And then that's in addition to that, there's another uh, mycobacterium or, you know, bacteria that looks like a fungus. And it's this thing called MAP, Mycobacterium avium paratuberculosis. Don't remember that. <laughs> MAP is a bacteria that grows inside of the intestinal tract of cows that are usually, it's a pathogenic bacteria, and it grows in the intestinal tract of cows that are, you know, in industrial feedlots. So it causes a condition called Yone's disease inside of those animals, and that's a fatal condition for them. It causes muscle wasting, and they can die. Um, some of the animals in an industrial feedlot end up with Yone's disease, and when they defecate into the soil, then the MAP bacteria gets inside of their poop, and then it ends up on the hooves of other animals. And then when those other animals are taken in for slaughter, the MAP bacteria actually can get in, gets on the the, the the boots and the gloves of the, the slaughterhouse workers and the MAP bacteria can get inside of the milk and can get inside of the meat. When it gets to the on its way to the grocery store, it can even escape pasteurization, a small amount of it. So you have live MAP bacteria that's present inside of your milk, inside of your meat, in the grocery store. And some interesting research shows that of people diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, 100% of them test positive for MAP bacteria. 100% of them. Crazy. So in my particular situation, I used to eat a lot of meat. I did. So I wouldn't be surprised if MAP is something that I test positive for and potentially causational in type 1 for me. All right. So let's get into the meat and potatoes, if you will. Maybe minus <laughs> the meat and potatoes. <laughs> yeah, minus the meat, add the potatoes. <laughs> tell, tell me about mastering diabetes. Tell me about some of the solutions that you found that hopefully some of our listeners can learn from. For sure. So there's this thing called insulin resistance, which I'm sure you've probably heard of and read about. Um, insulin resistance is thought of as basically being only associated with pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes. So you say the word insulin resistance and people go, oh, okay, type 2 diabetes. So it turns out that, that insulin resistance is the cause of pre-diabetes, 
And if not dealt with, prediabetes turns into type 2 diabetes. Insulin resistance is also the cause of gestational diabetes. So all three of those basically are caused by insulin resistance. Now, um, insulin resistance is also a condition which is present in people living with type 1 diabetes and type 1.5 diabetes. An overwhelming majority of type 1s and 1.5s also have insulin resistance, but they don't even know about it. And this is very problematic because what insulin resistance is at its root is it is a uh, it is an inability of insulin to do its job. Insulin's job, insulin has a thousand different responsibilities in your in your body. It's it's one of the most important anabolic hormones in your entire body. But its primary responsibility is to shuttle glucose out of your blood. And what I mean by that is that when you eat something that contains carbohydrates, whether it's a banana or whether it's a piece of bread or whether it's some crackers or whether it's a soda, it doesn't really matter. Anything that contains carbohydrate uh, breaks down into glucose inside of your blood. And then insulin's job is to knock on the door, knock, knock, liver, knock, knock, muscle. There's glucose in the blood. Do you want to take it up? And your liver and muscle can either say, sure, I'll take it up. And then they absorb that glucose and they use it. They either burn it or they store it. Or they say, no, 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 I don't want that glucose. Keep it outside, Put, keep it in the blood. Under normal circumstances, if you were what's considered insulin sensitive, every time insulin goes knock, knock liver, knock, knock muscle, I got glucose, do you want to take it up? Both of those tissues would be like, yeah, great, give it to me. I want it, give it, give it, give it. And that provides an exit route for glucose out of your blood and into tissues. And that's a good thing. But when you become insulin resistant, what happens is that insulin knocks on the door. Knock, knock, liver. Knock, knock, muscle. Do you want this glucose? I got it in the blood. Both of those tissues respond by saying, nope, sorry. I'm not interested in that glucose right now. Stay out. And the reason that that happens is because the prevailing wisdom is like, oh, okay, well, well, insulin causes insulin resistance or carbohydrates cause insulin resistance. But that's pseudoscience. Trust me when I say this. Refined carbohydrates can certainly exacerbate insulin resistance in your liver. I'm not going to deny that. But the primary cause of insulin resistance is saturated fat. And there's plenty of research to demonstrate that. So if you eat a diet that contains a significant amount of saturated fat, the saturated fat ends up getting stored in your adipose tissue, which is your, your fat tissue, as well as your liver, as well as your muscle. Within hours of that saturated fat going inside of your liver and muscle, your liver and muscle um, uh, reduce the ability of insulin to communicate with the tissue because saturated fat is a, uh, it's an energy-dense molecule. And when a significant amount of saturated fat gets inside, both your liver and muscle will say, whoa, 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 hold on, stop, stop, stop. I don't want too much of this stuff. I just want a little bit. Don't give me too much more. So they basically wage war against insulin, if you will. So the next time you eat something carbohydrate-rich, insulin just doesn't work as well. So the traffic jam goes, eat saturated fat, develop insulin resistance, then try and eat something carbohydrate-rich and end up with high blood glucose. So you literally have a metabolic traffic jam. But what people do, unfortunately, is they eat a potato or they have uh, you know, some bananas and they look at their blood glucose meter and they go, huh, now I have a high blood glucose. I guess potatoes are bad for me. I guess bananas are bad for me. Darn you, carbohydrates. I told you I can't eat you. So they stop eating carbohydrates and they eat more of the thing that's actually causing the insulin resistance traffic jam in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, to me. But it's just interesting to know like even those that have diabetes and I feel like maybe they should understand. Why is it so confusing that is it just conflicting information? Why isn't that? Oh, well, this is a clear path to what you need to be doing. Yeah, because I mean, even the scientific research is confusing. I mean, trust me, I went to grad school and I read without without exaggeration, 3000 scientific papers on diabetes and insulin resistance and all the tentacles of diabetes. 
And for a good portion of that time, I was confused myself until I eventually gained some clarity and say, oh, okay, now I think I understand what insulin resistance really is. So the literature is confusing. It's conflicting. Doctors are confused. Doctors are conflicted. The American Diabetes Association doesn't have very good recommendations. The blogosphere is confusing. Instagram is confusing. YouTube is confusing. So your average person tries to get information from the internet and they see a whole bunch of different conflicting things. And a lot of people are just like, you know what? Even these guys can't agree. I don't know. I don't really care. I'm just going to eat potato chips and sit on the couch. Right? <laughs> so tell me about, let's go through some of your recommendations for when it comes to food. Like what are some of the things that our audience can actually eat if they're dealing with diabetes right now? Yeah. Okay. So we recommend eating um, what's considered a low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet. Okay? So low-fat, plant-based, whole food has three components. Number one, low-fat means reduce your total fat intake to between 10 and 15% of total calories. It's very simple. Number two, plant-based means eat as many plants as you can. Number three, whole food means eat as much of your food in the whole state as possible, minimally processed or not processed at all. In other words, I'd rather you eat chickpeas than chickpea pasta. I'd rather you have potatoes than, you know, potato chips as an example, right? So low-fat, plant-based, whole food. That's, that's the very basic premise of the mastery diabetes method. Now, to get a little bit more granular, um, we recommend within the whole food, plant-based uh, realm to consume lots of fruit to get mo the bulk of your calories from, from fruits, from starchy vegetables that grow in the ground, from legumes like beans and peas and lentils, and then from whole grain. And if you use those four food groups as the bulk of your calorie intake, and then you have some nuts and seeds and some avocados and some coconuts and a small amount of those foods, and maybe you have a little bit of chicken here and there, you might have a little cheese here and there, but really try and minimize animal products or eliminate altogether. Then what you do is you maximize your insulin sensitivity. You maximize the action of insulin in your muscle and liver, and you can reverse the insulin resistant uh, scheme that we talked about earlier. Tell me what your diet looks like. Give us an example of throughout the day, breakfast, if you snack, lunch, dinner? For sure, okay, so I usually eat four meals a day. Breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner. So my breakfast is a bowl of fruit. I usually have, I live in Costa Rica, so what that means is that I get a lot of plantains, papayas, and mangoes. That's like kind of like the bulk of my fruit intake. So in the morning, I'm usually having some combination of that. So I'll have a bowl that has maybe like two plantains and a half of a big sort of Maradol papaya in there. Okay, so it's a, it's a decent amount of food. I'll eat that. I'll go to exercise. I'll go to CrossFit. I'll knock out an hours of exercise, and then I'll come back. And I will usually have a giant smoothie bowl. So the smoothie bowl has you know frozen strawberries, frozen bananas, and then I on top of that, my wife does a fantastic job of creating this big bowl for me with a bunch of uh, fresh fruit on top of it as well. And then maybe I'll put some chia seeds or some flax seeds, maybe a little bit of cocoa powder on top and call it a day. So that's breakfast. That's lunch. In the middle of the afternoon, for some reason, I've developed this chickpea fascination. And I'm absolutely uh, enamored with them. So I usually have a pretty decent-sized bowl of chickpeas that contains probably between two and three cups. And then I might chop up, uh, you know, some some broccoli or cauliflower into there just for flavor. And then when it comes to dinner time, I'm usually eating more vegetables. So veg, you know, I'll have some kind of salad. I might throw some green peas, onions, carrots, tomatoes. Um, you know, something that's a little bit fluffier, I'll call it. And then so that way, I sort of like front load my calories with a lot of fruit in the a.m. hours and the noontime. And then it kind of transitions towards like a little bit more beans and fluffiness towards the end of the day. 
tell me about your chickpea. <laughs> tell me, I'm, I like chickpeas, and I uh, eat broccoli. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you gotta give Do me a few more deep... chickpeas, or you well, just eat them. I don't, I don't love the. I mean, <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoy the health benefits of chickpeas more than okay. I like it taste. But you gotta give me a few more details. What else do you put in with the uh, chickpeas and broccoli? <laughs> I mean, here's the truth. A lot of the times, I don't, I don't put anything on my chickpeas. To be perfectly honest, because. <clears throat> we have an instant pot, so I'll go soak the chickpeas overnight, and then I'll just cook them. You know, I'll set it for an hour and thirty minutes on uh, high pressure, and I'll let it do its thing. And then as soon as it's done, I'll I'll open it, and I will just take this chickpeas out, put them into a bowl, and um, when I eat them, they're like they have this sort of like buttery consistency that's just like ah, it's just unbelievable. And the flavor of the chickpea just by itself is like is plenty to knock my socks off. If I'm feeling a little frisky and I want to put on some some spices, I'll put on either something like paprika and garlic powder. Or maybe I'll chop up some fresh garlic and put cumin on there. Or I'll put like curry powder and, uh, you know, what else? Cayenne pepper, something like that, right? And then I might sprinkle a little bit of lime on top of it and then eat that. But if you like chickpeas, just try eating them. Try, try cooking them in the Instant Pot and try eating them fresh out of the Instant Pot. I think, I think you might like them maybe a little bit more. <laughs> I got a really nice chickpea recipe that I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you a link to it. Please but, do. Uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so by transitioning from the way you used to eat, the way they maybe they told you to eat, which was high meat, maybe high fats, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was exactly high high meat, high fat, low carb. Sure. So you transitioned to more of a plant based. You have lots of fruits. Tell me, tell us our audience some of the results that you found, and maybe the transition phase. Like you transitioned from feeling one way. Maybe a bunch mm -hmm. of medication. Are you still taking insulin or, or how does that work for you right now? Okay, great question. So in the world of uh, type 1 diabetes, uh, a lot of people who get diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, they get sort of, uh, I don't know, frustrated and scared and, and they approach it like, hey, I want to I wanna stop using insulin. I want to get off insulin altogether, right? Is that possible? And the truth is that it might be possible in the short, short, short term but it's definitely not possible in the long term because type 1 diabetes is not a reversible condition and neither is type 1.5 diabetes, which is adult onset autoimmune diabetes, right? So for people like me who are living with autoimmune diabetes, the goal is not to eliminate insulin. The goal is to inject a physiologically normal amount of insulin. And what that means is that based off of your height and based off of your weight, you can plug those numbers into a calculator and it can tell you approximately what your physiological normal amount of insulin is. I'll give you the calculation. For me, I'm 160 pounds. Okay, so you take 160, and uh, I'm trying to remember the calculation off the top of my head. Take 160, you divide it by 2.2 to get your body weight in kilograms, so I'm 72 kilograms, and then you multiply 72 uh, times 0 0.6. So 0 0.6 right there tells you that I should be injecting 43 units of insulin per day. That would be considered a physiologically normal amount of insulin. When I was first uh, eating this you know, low-carbohydrate diet, I was all the way up there. I was at 43, 45, 50, 55 units a day, and I was like, this is a lot of insulin. This is a lot of insulin given the amount of carbohydrate I'm not eating. By transitioning to a low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet, within the first week, my insulin use went from like 45, 50 units a day down to 25 units a day, right? So a massive drop in a short period of time. And that is basically what's considered below a normal physiological amount of insulin which is okay because I'm still getting an, an, a sufficient amount of insulin inside of my blood every single day. Now, in addition to just using less insulin, 
my blood glucose is way more controllable. I mean, way more controllable. So the anxiety associated with managing my blood glucose is pretty much gone at this point. Okay, and it when it left pretty quickly. Um, in addition to that, my muscles became more fluid, and by that I mean I could go out and I could work out harder, faster, stronger, and I could recover quicker. And for me, that's just pure gold. In addition to that, I was more hydrated. My mood was better. I was just a happier individual, and uh, I also noticed that my digestion changed dramatically. So over the course of a three-month period, there was like a civil war happening inside of my <laughs> microbiome. I mean, the smells that were coming out of me and the sounds were like <laughs> unbelievable, right? Maybe the chickpeas. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't eating chickpeas at that point. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a pretty rapid transition from like a meat-heavy diet to a plant-based diet. And um, over about a three-month period or so, I got to a point where I was like much better digestive health. So less bloating, less gas, less constipation. And as a result of that, um, my digestive health is like dramatically transformed at this point. So there's direct you know, insulin and glucose related effects, but then there's also a whole bunch of indirect improvements. A couple other things that I did notice is that my body odor basically went away. I don't really have body odor. Every so often I do, but uh, I used to have body odor all the time and I used to use deodorant and now I just don't really, I don't even think about it. I haven't bought deodorant in 20 years. In addition to that, I used to bleed on my gums when I would brush my teeth. Every so often I'd get like blood on my toothbrush. I was like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I'm getting older. That hasn't happened in years, right? So I think I'm just overall, I'm just less inflamed in many different, you know, organs, many different tissues. And there's these sort of like small telltale signs of it. And the last thing I'll say is that I have a lot of energy. I got a ton of energy and I wouldn't trade that for the world. Man, Cyrus, I feel like we're only scratching the surface here, but um, <laughs> we are running out of time here. I want to ask you if there's anything that we missed that you wanted to mention before we start wrapping things up here. Yeah. So the, the one sort of take home message I would say here is that diabetes can be very confusing. It can be extremely confusing, but it doesn't have to be because it's only as confusing as the internet makes it out to be. It's actually a pretty straightforward condition once you understand the true molecular biology, right? So in our book, Mastering Diabetes, we teach you the molecular biology and we're not doing it as if you're in a college. We're trying to dumb it down so that it's very straightforward and very understandable. Um, the, the main ma message I would give to all of your listeners here is that carbohydrates are not the enemy. Carbohydrates never were the enemy. Carbohydrates never will be the enemy. And this anti-carbohydrate propaganda that exists all over the internet <laughs> is misguided, okay? And as the caveat, I, again, I am not talking about refined carbohydrates. I'm talking about whole carbohydrates from fruits, root vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. So if you're confused about whether you can eat carbohydrates or not eat carbohydrates, I would recommend picking up a copy of the book, Mastering Diabetes, you can see on the screen here. You can get it on Amazon, you can get Barnes & Noble, you can get it wherever you want. You can get the Kindle version, the audiobook, you name it. Read the book, listen to the book, and learn diabetes inside and out. When you do, your entire understanding of what you can eat and what you maybe shouldn't eat very much of will change. And hopefully you can set yourself up for success today and then also minimize your long-term chronic disease risk. That's the key. Reverse diabetes and insulin resistance today. Set yourself up for success 30 years into the future. And that's what we can promise. Tell us more about your book or how they can... Maybe do you? I don't know what other services do you guys have. Do you work with people? Do you? Is there some Yo. place that can they check your website out for more details? Tell us about that. Yeah, for sure. So we have a website, masteringdiabetes.org. So if you just go there, what you'll see is that we have a coaching program. And the coaching program is specifically designed to teach people how to transition 
to a plant-based diet. So we have a team of expert coaches and uh, the coaches here uh, you know, have an in-depth understanding of all the caveats of transitioning from a sort of meat-heavy or low-carbohydrate diet to a plant-based diet, specifically for diabetes. Um, so masteringdiabetes.org is the place to go. And, uh, you, you know, there you can, if you want to join a coaching program, I, we, we'd love to have you join our community. Um, there's also, if you want to just do it by yourself, we have a do it yourself program, which doesn't require any human to human interaction. We also run an online summit every year and you can get recordings of previous conversations with the top doctors in the world of plant-based nutrition. And you can learn from all of them as well. So there's many resources. We have a scientific blog where we're writing information all the time about different aspects of diabetes. We got recipes, you name it. So think of it as like your one shop, one stop shop, one stop playground. Come hang out, learn as much as you can and reach out to our team if, if you need any help. Fantastic, Cyrus. That was awesome. Thank you so much for shining some light on this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. Once again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our True Form Life community. You can always find us on facebook.com slash trueformlife. We post up there a couple times a day on our story. We're always trying to bring you more content around living a healthy lifestyle, whether that be nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. We also have free challenges that we do at least once a month. So if you follow us along there, you'll be able to join maybe a plank challenge or a squat challenge to bat a challenge whatever it may be we'd love to have you join us we're also on instagram.com slash drew tadia again we're posting up there a couple times a day along with our story all dedicated to keeping you fit and healthy and on track our main website is trueformlife.com if you want to check out some of our products some of our services or if you just want some great content from videos to blog posts and recipes and more we got all that at trueformlife.com. Once again, thank you so much for being here. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.